So which school should I send to? Which extracurricular activity should I choose? Which toys should I buy? Which books should I read? Us parents are obsessed with providing the best for our kids. And it comes from a place of love and care and all of the good things. But in this episode, I'm going to tell you why none of that really matters as much as we think it does. Don't get me wrong, I love talking toys, books, and activities, but I'll share what I believe we should be focusing on the majority of our energy instead. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hi, I'm Avital. If you're just meeting me for the first time, a huge welcome. Thank you so much for giving me the time of day. I know there are so many other things you could be listening to. I'm so honored and humbled. You've given me a few moments of your time. I promise I'll do everything I can to make it worth it. I know how busy you are. I myself am a mother of four and I work as a mindful parenting coach. So my goal here on this podcast is to help you, my fellow imperfect but intentional parent, say goodbye to clutter, chaos, and conflict, and reclaim peace, presence, and play for your family. I want to invite you to think back to the big lessons of your childhood. If I asked you to think back to what have you learned from your mother, from your father, from your teachers, what lessons stuck with you the most? What were the big messages? It's a big question, I know, and you might need to pause this and take a little bit of time to think about it. But typically, the lessons that we take from our childhood were the lessons that maybe our parents never consciously meant to teach. Typically, we learn from how they lived their lives. We learn from how they behaved, how they handled emotions, money, control power, how they treated their bodies, their environment, the people around them. We learn from how they woke up in the morning, from how they handled disappointments and setbacks, from where they spent their time, energy, and focus. We learn from their mindset. That in my opinion, was the hidden and most powerful curriculum of our childhoods. No matter what school you went to, no matter what summer camp you did or didn't attend, no matter what jobs you had, what allowance you did or didn't get, no matter the teachers and the extracurricular activities you did or did not participate in, all of the things you learnt in Traditional learning environments such as school and classes and tutoring pale in comparison to what you actually learned from how your caregivers showed up in the world, how they lived their lives. The real lessons came between the lessons, right? Between the schooling. The real lessons came in how they did supper time, how they did bedtime, how they did self-care, how they did ongoing learning for themselves, how they treated vacations, how they treated a waiter in a restaurant. 
The real lessons came from how they spoke to us and to each other, of how they behaved, how they viewed the world, their politics, their values. These were the real lessons for better or worse. This is what we truly react to subconsciously in our adulthood. It's not the history classes we took in elementary school or the science grades that we got. Those are, you know, nice sets of information that we may or may not have acquired, but they aren't what informs how we live our day-to-day lives. And they aren't what made us who we are. The truest curriculum of childhood is what we see our adults do, how we see them behave, how they think. And then what happens is that in our adulthood, we subconsciously react to that curriculum of childhood. We react to how our parents treated, say, each other, right? Whatever we saw within our parents' marriage, we're going to either want to, typically, either want to emulate or we want to do the polar opposite. However, our parents treated us, how they disciplined us, how they cared for us, whether they were warm or cold, whether they followed through on their promises or they lied to us or they, you know, lacked integrity, whether they were dependable and good listeners or they shushed us and disregarded our opinions and our emotions. Those are the things that we are typically as adults reacting to unless we work through them consciously and make a new conscious decision. So often you'll find adults who are doing exactly the same as their parents and these are the people who are saying, well, I came out all right, it worked for me, so I'm going to do it to my kids. And they haven't consciously worked through it because they're not making a fresh choice. They're not making a well-informed choice. They're just copying, blindly following what their parents did because it's, you know, the path of least resistance. It's what they already know. It's familiar. So they just do what their parents did. Or the people who say, I hated what my parents did in this and this area. And so I'm going to do it differently. And then their whole call to action is doing it differently, but not necessarily doing it better or more consciously because they're just often doing the polar opposite of what their parents did. So for example, you'll sometimes see if there was a very, say, authoritarian father, very controlling father, very punitive father, big temper, then you'll find that his children as parents will often fall into the camp of either being very authoritarian themselves and follow a similar path to what their father did and say, well, you know, I turned out okay, so I'm going to do it too, or this is what I know, or they don't even think about it consciously. They just do what they saw, kind of a robotic uh, repetition, which we all fall into, right? Or they say, you know, I hated that. It didn't work for me. And so I'm going to be the opposite. And then they lack any structure, any boundaries. They don't know how to put limits in place because the only limits they've ever seen were harsh, punitive, unkind limits. And so they go the opposite route. So both of these responses are reactive. A more conscious response would be to think, well, that was the way my father did it. There were pros and cons to that approach. I want to take the pros leave the cons and go educate myself and heal those wounds and develop a new approach that is more conscious, that isn't reactive to what I happened to have been brought up in. So today's episode is going to be all about 
a new way of thinking about what we teach our children. It's going to be about claiming that curriculum, that curriculum, which is us. And if you want the show notes for this episode, they can be found at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 1414. And I would absolutely love it if you think this could be helpful for anyone else, you think they might relate to this. If it's helpful for you, it will be helpful for them too. And I so appreciate you sharing this out on Instagram, tagging me. I love to see where you're listening to this. Are you cleaning? Uh, if you're driving, obviously don't share it, but if you're doing, you know, your morning walk or your, uh, your train commute, uh, take a snap, take a selfie or snap a screenshot and just share it out on your Instagram stories. I love to hear your feedback and I so appreciate it. It's the best way of showing me that this is helpful to you. So what we're talking about today is the curriculum of childhood, the true curriculum of childhood. So many of us think that we can get our children to do certain things, to learn certain skills. We can shape them and mold them into the adults we want them to be by telling them what to do, right? It's the do as I say, not as I do paradigm. And frankly, it just doesn't work. It isn't realistic to tell our children how to handle conflict, how to handle money, how to handle health, how to treat their elders and their peers and their youngers, how to treat their belongings, how to be organized, how to manage time, how to manage emotions, to tell them, to lecture them, to explain to them again and again, when we are not modeling it, is simply futile and frankly ridiculous. It doesn't work. None of us learn Really, very few of us learn by being lectured at, by being told what to do, by being directed. But this is the mainstream parenting advice, right? This is the mainstream parenting approach is, I don't need to figure out myself how to handle conflict, but I sure as heck can tell you how to handle conflict. I absolutely can tell you that you're doing it wrong, that you need to do it differently, that you need to become more mature, yeah? It's so pervasive in all of our cultural dictates, but it does not work. Consider that the vast majority of the messages that we receive from other people are nonverbal. We receive hundreds of thousands of messages within a conversation, but only, you know, less than 20% of that is what the person's actually saying their body language, their facial expressions, their timing and intonation. All of these things, all of these more subconscious messages are what actually register with us in a much more powerful way. The words that we use are really far less potent than we think. Telling our children to get along, to play nice, to share, telling them to save their money or to do their homework on time or to keep their bedroom tidy. All of these things fall on deaf ears. I know it, you know it, because we experience it. We say these things again and again until we're blue in the face and we feel ridiculous because why is no one listening to us? And the real reason no one is listening to us is because people don't listen. People don't listen. We don't listen very well to our children. They don't listen very well to us because the messages that we send are much broader than the words that we use. They are kind of, you know, if you imagine a whole massive ship, the words that we use are that little flag on the top. 
It's a small portion, a very small kind of sprinkling on top of the huge message that we are sending through how we show up in the world every day. Another way that we try to shape our children is by enrolling them, indoctrinating them, signing them up to schools, activities, churches, tutors, all of these different cultural institutions that are supposed to provide education, that are supposed to educate our child and shape them and mold them in the direction that we want, right? I know that we all want happy, healthy children who are good, contributing citizens and productive people. We all want that. I'm imagining. But again, in mainstream parenting, we leave that up to the institution. We say, well, the government will decide on the curriculum. They'll decide how my child spends, you know, eight, you know, 10, six, whatever hours of their day. And whatever the government decides is is right for my child. So I send them to a school and then I trust the teachers because the teachers are professionals, right? They're supposed to know how to educate and this is what they do for a living. And then I, I imagine that that's taken care of education. And, oh, I want to be a really good parent. So I also add some extracurriculum. You know, they're going to go to ballet or they're going to go to church school or they're going to go to a mosque class or they're going to go uh, get tutoring or they're going to do art. I'm going to kind of buffer up the curriculum. I'm going to plump it up and add to it. And then I think, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go, right? I've, I've taken care of my child's education. But again, this is, you know, maybe, maybe if I'm being generous, what our children learn in all of these educational institutions maybe accounts for 20% of the influence on who they are, on their value system and how they live their life. I mean, really, if you think back to your years of schooling, all of the schooling that you went through, and you think about who you are as a person, all of your hang-ups, your anxieties, your passions, your skills, your belief system, your characteristics, all of the different things that make you who you are. How much does that schooling account for? I mean, let's be honest. How much is it? Is it 5%? Is it 50% if we're being super generous? You know, I think maybe 20%, again, is a generous assumption, but let's say it's about 20%. 20% of the influence that made you who you are is the school. And let's just use school as a broad term to mean all the different curriculums that you were taught. What really made you who you are beyond your innate inborn nature, right? Your temperament that you were born with and your genetics that you were born with. The nurture that really nurtured you, in my opinion, and I don't have the science to back this up, but I'm sure it's out there. I believe this is all of the messages that you received between those classes. It's how your teachers maybe showed up to the classes, how they handled the classroom, how your peers behaved. But even more importantly than that, it's how your parents did, how your caregivers did, how the main people in your life behaved. How they showed up to life is what has informed you of how to show up to life. That's a much bigger part of the curriculum of your childhood. And that's why I say... We can talk about Montessori and Waldorf and Rye, and I love it all. I think it's great. We can talk about toys. We can talk about um, play. We can talk about different classes and different curriculums and homeschooling and unschooling, and all of that is wonderful. It's a great conversation to have. But let's not forget that the core, that the true lesson is you. The truest lesson that your child is learning is you. And if this feels overwhelming to you, I get it. I have good news and bad news here. The good news is that, you know, this thought process is casting a vote in favor of humanity. 
The good news is that you're human and your child's human, right? It's a, it's a process driven thought. It's thinking about process and progress and practice, not perfection. You cannot be a perfect role model for your child. And we wouldn't want you to be because part of the human experience is imperfection, is mistakes, is regressions and setbacks and failures and anxieties. And how we handle those is a giant part of us being the curriculum, how we handle setbacks and failures and anxieties. So it's not about perfection. This is a vote in favor of learning alongside our children. It's about humanizing the process because just like Russian dolls, the nesting dolls, you know, if you imagine babushkas, each generation is shaped by the previous one, but it grows, right? It grows and it becomes its own piece of art and it stands alone. So yes, we are shaped by our previous generation, but we also stand alone, And yes, we have the opportunity and perhaps the obligation to take strides to improve on what the generation before us has done, right? We have the opportunity, now that we know better, to do better. We have the opportunity to heal, to take part in the healing process, to heal intergenerational wounds, to improve. But we don't have the opportunity or the obligation to finish the job. It won't be perfect. It's an ongoing process. So release yourself of the notion that you alone will heal intergenerational pain, that you will be this perfect curriculum for your child to follow. Instead, rejoice in the strides that you do take. Think about how much better your children's childhoods are, how much more conscious you are than your parents were. You've taken some steps, I'm sure of it. And don't linger on how far there is still yet to go. You just do you. You just do your step in the right direction, your layer of the onion, your babushka doll. Your child will take it from there to the next level with their children. And yes, our children are likely to need therapy (laughs) because we don't know where we're going to mess up, right? We don't know where it's coming from that... Our children's childhood's wounds will be. They'll have wounds. Everybody does. Nobody escapes childhood completely unscathed. That's okay. That's part of the human experience is that we grow up in imperfect environments with imperfect people because all people are. And also taking this approach of realizing that you yourself are the curriculum, it can help up your empathy towards your child because you realize your own humanity and how much we each need to learn and kind of hashtag adult, right? Suddenly, when we take this approach, it becomes ridiculous that I'm demanding perfect obedience from my child when I myself fail to follow my own rules, right? I have a rule that I want to stop eating sugar or I want to work out five days a week or I want to be more productive, or I want to call my mom every day, or whatever rule you had that you set for yourself and you're not following, doesn't that help you to be more empathic towards your four-year-old who isn't following the rules to the T either, right? It becomes unrealistic when I want my child to kindly use their words and speak to their baby sibling instead of hitting when I myself am grabbing my child in frustration or being passive aggressive to my partner to punish them because I'm annoyed. 
I'm not modeling, I'm not handling and managing the situations in the way I want my child to, suddenly I realize that that's the true curriculum. It's what I do, not what I say. And I can practice more empathy towards my child in the realization of my own humanity. So with all of this said, here is kind of the rallying cry that I want to draw our attention to. I am the curriculum for better or worse. You are the curriculum that your children are learning from. Yes, they may go to a school and read books and be influenced by culture and peers and teachers and grandparents and all of that. But in terms of what you truly have control over and in terms of what I believe is one of the biggest influences in their lives, it's you. It's how you show up each and every day. So when you busy, busy, busy yourself with how your partner is showing up and how the grandparents are behaving and what the teachers are doing in the schools and which toys and which activities and all of those things, when you busy yourself with that for most of the time and you neglect to put your focus and attention on what should be first, then you are abdicating your power as a parent and where the truest focus needs to be in my humble opinion. The true, those things are great, yes. We can talk to our partners about their parenting and we can talk to our grandparents and we can try and get the best schools and all of that stuff. But the truest focus, the biggest impact that we have is within ourselves, is how we live our lives, is how we show up, is what we're modeling. That's really where the biggest impact lies. And it's also conveniently where we have the most control. What is inconvenient about it is that it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to grow. It's uncomfortable to work on ourselves and to realize that we ourselves are holding our children back because we ourselves have not learned certain skills, are not mastering certain things, are not modeling certain things in our lives. That's not comfortable, but it is the truth. And it is a powerful truth. And it can make you feel powerful when you are liberated to focus on yourself and becoming the type of person, the type of adult you hope your child becomes. Maybe you're that already and then I rejoice with you. But my goal is to become the type of adult that I wish my children grow into, right? My goal is to be kind and compassionate and healthy and have great habits and self-loving in a confident place, but not an arrogant place, financially abundant, healthy, in a great relationship, in great relationships with my family. All of these big, big, big goals for who I want to become, who I want to grow into, who I want to be when I grow up, right? I have these big goals of who I want to be when I grow up in all of the major domains of my life, right? Whether it's career or health or relationships, or my physical environment, which home I want to live in, what schedule I want to have, how I want to manage my time. But until I'm making major strides and putting most of my focus on being that person, on being the adult I want my child to be, who am I to demand anything of my child? And forget who am I, you know, how futile would that be? What a waste of energy would that be? If I haven't figured it out for myself, how can I possibly teach it or expect it from my child? If I want my child to be a compassionate person, to self-regulate, to be a good time manager, to treat their space with respect, 
if I want them to do all that stuff, but I'm a mess, then I'm a terrible coach, right? We wouldn't want a coach at the gym who's obese because they haven't figured it out, right? I mean, due respect, but you haven't figured out fitness and health if you yourself are obese. That's not the type of gym coach that would inspire us to show up to the gym. And let me tell you what I believe about that because I think it's very important for parenting. When you hire a coach, okay, I've never had a personal trainer, but I've gone to classes. So I imagine it's a similar idea. When you hire a personal trainer or when you go to the gym uh, and a trainer, you know, trains a class or takes a yoga class, for example, when you hire that person and you pay them money for a class, you are not paying primarily for the curriculum of the content of the class. You can go to YouTube and get any yoga workout or any CrossFit workout routine that you want. You can just Google it and you'll get a list of things to do, right? Oh, you know, lift 10 uh, dumbbells and then, you know, I don't know, do five press-ups and, right, you'll get the curriculum. What you're hiring actually is the role model. You want the curriculum of the person, You want the education that comes in the form of apprenticeship, watching a seasoned mentor, a a person who's got this part of their life down, right? You're hiring the, the gym coach, the fitness coach, who shows you that it is possible to demand more of yourself, to show up for your body every day, to push yourself hard, to take your health seriously. And it is possible to be your ideal weight and shape because look, I am living proof. You're paying for that. You're paying for that person to inspire you and for you to see a real life example that actually banishes all of your excuses because you say, well, if this person can do it, why can't I? I need to do it too. You're paying for them to expect that of you and they can only expect that of you and be a good guide because they have the authority to do so and they only have the authority to do so because they were once in your shoes and they now mastered this. So if I am overweight and I hire a fitness coach who was once overweight but now they're at the peak of physical health then I am paying them to be my role model, to be my mentor and my guide with authority and empathy because they've been there too. And I refer you back to my episode about being the guide in your child's story. But this is how we have to be the the guide is we have to learn how to be an adult. We have to grow up if we want to successfully coach our children in growing up. If we want to successfully lead them into a healthy adulthood, well then first we've got to be healthy adults. We need to know what that looks like. So when I see parents who come to me, clients who say to me, oh, I'm so worried about my child because they're failing at school or they are failing socially, they're feeling, you know, lack of confidence or their behavior is completely out of control, they're, you know, unkind to their sibling or their bedtime is out of control, all this stuff, right? But that parent themselves is in a mess. That parent themselves is un 
you know, unsatisfied or out of alignment with their selves or not living a healthy life to a certain extent. Look, none of us are, you know, none of us are perfect. I just mean somewhat getting our ducks in order, not having volatile drama, you know, big episodes of, of pain and anxiety and burnout and, 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 or being broke or being very unhealthy or all of these things that lead to big, you know, if we're basically stable, productive adults, basically we've got our lives in an okay place, then we can start to become effective coaches for our children. So how we live our life is what our kids learn, how we show up in small ways and in day-to-day situations. And let me give you three big examples of this that I think are worth lingering on and trying to figure out for ourselves while our kids are still young, not waiting till they're, you know, grown and they've flown the coop to suddenly say, okay, now I'm going to get my life in order. So the first one is our social skills. People are often worried about kids' social skills, about kids' management of conflict, of emotional regulation, of communication with others, of problem solving. The issue there is that many of the adults I speak to who complain about their kids not having those skills don't have it themselves. They say things like, my kid calls his sibling names, right? Which, by the way, my kids do call each other names, right? But then they are calling their husband a jerk or someone on Facebook, you know, a name, an idiot. They are, you know, cursing at other drivers on the road or being rude about their mothers or being rude to the bank clerk or to the supermarket cashier. You know, if we don't know how to speak to others, if we don't know how to manage our own emotional regulation, if we don't know how to communicate, how to problem solve, maybe we need to start there, right? Maybe I need to start with not shaming my child and not calling him names, And then I can expect him to stop calling his brother names. Maybe I need to start by reducing the amount of criticism I pile onto my husband. And then I can maybe expect and hope that my child will be less rude and critical to his sibling. I mean, not seeing the link between these is blindness. We must become self-aware. We must become self-aware of our social interactions, of our social skills, how we speak to the people around us, how we manage our own emotions. If we're breaking out yelling every day, losing it, and my empathy to you, because I lose it too, I'm 100% including myself in all of this, but when I lose it with my kids, then that should be upping the empathy factor of when they lose it. I should not expect more adult behavior, more mature behavior of a four or five-year-old or seven-year-old or 14-year-old than I do of myself. And that is why I am the curriculum. I am showing up and losing it. You can better expect my kids to lose it too. That's going to happen. And so the work needs to begin with me first learning, well, how do I master my emotions? How do I lose it less? How can I make that a priority, right? Through all the tools we know about, nonviolent communication skills and mindfulness and taking the courses and watching the videos and learning, journaling, sleeping well, taking care of my health. All of these things are going to contribute to that. And so I need to master that. The second area of life that my children are watching like hawks and learning from is life management. How we manage, how we hashtag adult, how we manage our time, how we manage our money, how we manage our energy. 
our resources, basically, resource allocation. What we spend time, money, and energy on is the curriculum. That's what our children are learning. Really, it's just so clear-cut, in my opinion, that that is what they're learning. They see what we value. They see how we manage. They see if we push ourselves up into, you know, being late minute or being, sorry, being last minute or being late all the time. If we take on more than we can manage, if we take on too little and we in fact struggle with boredom, or if we put our time into all sorts of addictions like screen addictions, shopping addictions, or, or the typical addictions like gambling or drugs. Our kids see that and they are learning. So how are we spending our time? What are we spending our most valuable resource on, which is time? Time is our most valuable resource. What are we spending it on? That's what our kids are learning is valuable to spend time on. Are we spending it on quality time with our family? Are we spending it on productive work, on putting food on the table or growing our wealth? Are we spending it on hobbies that bring us joy? Are we spending it on keeping ourselves healthy and fit? Are we spending it on friends and family who we care about and love? Or are we spending it in ways that don't bring us joy, that don't align with our highest good, right? Are we spending it on gossip or on just TV or, and again, TV might be a great thing. If you enjoy those shows and they bring you joy, great use of your time, great modeling for your kids. But if it's mindless and if it's not in alignment with ourselves, then maybe we want to address that. How are we managing our finances? How are we managing our energy? What are we modeling with all of these things? Are we modeling an abundance mindset? Are we modeling good planning for the future? Are we modeling responsibility? Are we modeling ownership of what we have and what we want to create? Creating a good plan, following through on it? Or are we modeling a haphazard, stressful, anxious state? Now, I realize that what I'm saying now probably is triggering for many of us, right? It's very triggering because most of us, us, myself included, do not have all of these things down pat and that's okay. I just want to remind you back to that first realization of this is a human process. It's about progress. It's about process. It's about patience, right? It's about practice, it's a practice. You have to see all of this like a yoga practice. You come back to your mat again and again, and it's never perfect, but it's a day-to-day showing up and saying, you know, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to put my A game on. I'm going to try, and I'm going to practice self-compassion and empathy. When I fail, I can also model repair. I can also model apology. I can model self-compassion. I can model empathy in those times. I can model the fact that it's okay to be imperfect. And that comes to the final and perhaps most important point, I think, of our curriculum as ourselves. The most potent part of our curriculum is our mindset. It's our interpretation of events. Are we modeling optimism? Are we giving people around us, our children and ourselves included, the benefit of the doubt, the most generous interpretation of events? Or are we criticizing and blaming and guilting? Are we talking to ourselves kindly? Are we saying, you know what? I'm doing great. I'm doing my best. We're moving forward. 
I love me, I'm imperfect, but I'm I'm pretty awesome. Or am I saying, oh, I'm so stupid, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I can't get anything right. Oh, I am such a, you know, victim. Woe is me. Are we feeling sorry for ourselves? Or are we feeling powerful? Are we feeling optimistic and, you know, realistic, but positive generally? Do we skew positive or do we skew negative? Are we practicing self-love or self-hatred? Are we modeling self-compassion, resilience, grit, patience, practice? Or are we modeling someone who feels as though they cannot manage and the world is too big, too scary, too bad, and, you know, not in our favor? Are we giving the sense that there is so much to be grateful for and that the universe is basically benevolent, basically generous, basically on our side? Or are we modeling the idea that the world is a scary and dangerous place and we are small and insignificant and incapable? Our mindset, both in terms of how we view positive things and how we view quote-unquote negative things, right? Our mindset when it comes to things like tragedy, when it comes to things like politics, when it comes to things like death, illness, uh, debt, um, any kind of challenge that we face. Our mindset when it comes to being late in the morning to school, our mindset when it comes to forgetting to do homework, our mindset when it comes to, I missed a day at the gym. That's where the gold happens. That's where the truest curriculum comes through. That's where we teach the most important skills, I believe, for future adult life. That's where we teach resilience. That's where we teach grit. That's where we teach patience. That's where we teach optimism and bounce back and problem solving and being genuine and authentic and vulnerable and brave. I think it happens in those places, in the small challenges and in the big ones. Can we bring our mindset there and share it with our kids in a way that truly teaches them? So I sincerely hope that this has brought you inspiration and motivation and perhaps a gentle little nudge in the direction of self-reflection, of self-actualization, of self-prioritization, of noticing that we ourselves are one of the most influential curriculums in our children's life and everything that we do our mindset, how we manage our time, how we interact with others, that is the 80%. That is the big, hefty, powerful curriculum in our children's lives. And all of the schools and other choices that we make for them, they pale in comparison to this influence. And I hope it's not feeling overwhelming, but it's actually feeling kind of powerful, kind of empowering that, oh, wow, this is where I have the biggest impact. And The added bonus is that when we focus on this, we improve our own lives. When we focus on improving our life management, our mindset, and our social interaction, we enjoy life better, we like ourselves more, we're happier, and it snowballs everything in the right direction. Plus, we get to the true root of the teachings that our children learn from in a much more real way, right? We develop a growth mindset. We realize that we're always, always working on our self-improvement and that we've all got wounds to heal and that our children will too, and that that's okay. Next week, we're going to look at becoming the curriculum in a whole new way, and we're going to look at what it takes 
to create that type of life that you love and that you feel you're modeling excellence for your children. Not excellence in the competitive sense, not excellence in the gold medal sense, but we are going to be comparing ourselves to Olympic athletes and see what we can learn from that. If you're listening to this as it hits, then May is coming up, and that is the only time we open enrollment for Present Play, our global village where intentional parents thrive. We're kicking things off with a three-week live challenge starting April 15th. It's called the Reclaim Play Challenge, and it's designed to kick you into action with decluttering, strewing, and bundling. If you're not even sure what those things mean, you need to join us. It's going to revolutionize the way your child plays and the way you feel at home and as a parent. Go to theparentingjunkie.com forward slash challenge to sign up for free. Even if it's after April 15th, you can still join us. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.